Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Good morning, Calvary. Again, so good to see you, whether you are here in the room or you are joining us online, maybe you're in Auditorium 2, or you're watching by way of television, listening to the podcast. We are just honored that you would be with us today and take the time to join us. Uh, our family had a, a good opportunity to get away for a few days this last week, and so uh, thanks so much for your prayers. Also wanna say thanks to Pastor Jordan for bringing a good word last week. Did he not? And if you did not have a chance to hear Pastor Jordan's message, especially if you're going through a season of some disappointment, I would encourage you to um, take some time and listen to that. And I just want the Moors to know, I know he shared uh, some of their family's journey. We are praying for them and for Little Summit. Are we not as a church? Yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, we started a few weeks back a series that we're calling Christmas in July. We're working our way through the book of Matthew. And it just kind of worked out that we were talking about the birth stories of Jesus in July. So why not, right? And uh, we are celebrating Christmas in July. We looked at the life of Joseph a couple of weeks ago. Last week, Pastor Jordan talked to us about the Magi or the wise men. And today, we're gonna get to a really interesting character in this story, and we're gonna talk about Herod. Um, Herod is the king at the time of Jesus' birth. He is a fascinating individual, so let's jump right in. Matthew chapter two, beginning with verse one. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. He doesn't bother to give us a whole lot of information on who Herod was, and there's a good reason why. Because when he wrote this, or when he taught this, when he would tell people about Herod, they immediately knew who he was. Herod didn't need an introduction. He was this incredible figure. In fact, we often refer to him, there's multiple Herods in the Bible. So when you read about Herod, who is the ruler in Acts chapter 12, that's not this Herod, it's a grandson. And when you read about Herod, who oversees part of the crucifixion of Jesus at the end of the Gospels, that's not this guy, it's one of his sons. This guy is the Herod. We often refer to him as Herod the Great. You ever heard of him? Now you have. And uh, this is him. Herod's father, Antipater, was uh, someone who kind of kind of got real friendly with the leaders in Jerusalem who were ruling over the Jewish people at that time, and he became an advisor to some of them. And then when the Romans came in and took over, he was sly enough to find himself in a spot where he became the procurator. He was the leader over that part of the world. And one of the things that he did was his 25-year-old son, Herod, became the governor of Galilee. And then there were all these different changes and movements and switches and intrigue. And you got Julius Caesar, Mark Antony, all these different people who are in the story. And in the midst of that, Herod works his way into being called the king of the Jews. He becomes the king over that part of the world, what we would know as Israel, Judea, Galilee, that part. He becomes the king of of the Jews. Now, Herod is so well known because of the different kings of antiquity. We seem to know more about Herod than we do a lot of the other ones, in part because Herod's name is everywhere in history. 
if you look at the history of that time, he's very prominent in part because he built a lot of stuff. And as he built it, out became his name and his identity and who he was. Let me show you just a few things just because it's, it's kind of interesting. One of the things he's known for is a place called Masada. Now, Masada is this mountain fortress that was built. It out overlooks the Dead Sea. And uh, I've had the opportunity to be there Three different occasions. Many of you from Calvary have gone with us as we've taken trips to Israel. And I think sometime as things are beginning to open back up again in the next couple of years, we'll plan another trip. If you've ever wanted to go to Israel, don't talk yourself out of it. It is a trip that will cost you a lot of money. But I'm telling you, there'll be no other place that you ever go that you'll think about every day of your life for the rest of your life. It's an incredible place. And Masada is this mountain palace that Herod built for himself, and it is tricked out, and it becomes a key part of Jewish history later in the first century. One of the, one of the things that he is known for is what's called Caesarea Maritina, and it looks like this in a drawing that an artist kind of conceived from that time. It's mostly ruins now at this season in history, but Herod built this on the coast of the Mediterranean, and it had an amphitheater, it had a theater, it had this massive track for chariot races, and the harbor that's there was not there until Herod built it. And when he had people go in and dredge out that harbor, it became one of the most uh, effective and well-known harbors of that time. He was this incredible builder. His masterpiece was the temple in Jerusalem. And there's kind of an artist's rendition of it at, uh, at that time when it was built. It was this incredible project that he built, rebuilding the temple that had been destroyed throughout the history of the Jewish people in exile, those different things that we've talked about some. And he was just known to be this master builder. During his time, there was prosperity. There's relative peace that came to the Jewish people. And part of the Herod story, if you don't know this, not only did he rule for 33 years, not only was he an incredible builder, Herod was a madman. Like he was crazy. And part of it shows up because he was called the king of the Jews, but he really wasn't Jewish. He was kind of half Jewish, kind of not. And even though he had Jewish influence, he really wasn't a Jewish person. And the Jewish leaders, especially the ones that had been deposed by the Romans, been conquered by Herod, and now Herod is in charge, they did not like him. He was constantly worried that they would try to overthrow him. So he said, I know what I'll do. I'll marry one of them. And so he married this Jewish princess known as Mariamne the first, and she became his wife. And then at some point down the line, Herod said, you know, I don't know if I trust her. She might try to overthrow my kingdom. And so he had her executed. I love you, honey. Right? And that, that messed with Herod. Like after he had her executed, he became physically ill, almost to the point of death. He never really recovered he spent the whole rest of his life living in paranoia. And although he had been raised with some Jewish beliefs, he never really lived it out. He was never really accepted. And Herod was kind of just a nasty dude. In fact, Josephus, you'll hear that name from time to time. Josephus was a Jewish historian of that time. And often the, the things that we know outside of the Bible from that period of time historically, we, we get from Josephus. And here's Josephus' summary of the life of Herod. He was a man who was cruel to all alike and one who was easily given to anger and was contemptuous of justice. Anybody want Herod for a neighbor? What a nasty dude. And today, we're gonna talk about Herod, and some of you sit back and go, 
Well, that's cool, because I'm not like Herod at all. <laughs> I've never tried to kill anybody. <laughs> I'm doing great today. But here's, here's my guess, that as we talk about some things about Herod's life, there, there may be some things that make us just a little uncomfortable. I, I know, I know, I know. You're not like Herod, but maybe there's a little hint of Herod in there somewhere. Have you ever, you ever poured yourself a big glass of milk and didn't bother to look at the expiration date? Anybody? And you kind of take a little sip and you kind of go, oh, something's, something's not right there. Like it's, it's not sour, but there's a hint of something to come. Do you know what I'm talking about? You take that first sip of coffee and you're like, whoa, 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 something's not right there. That first bite of that bowl of cereal and you're like, those aren't the frosted flakes I know and love. Why? Because you look at that date and you're like, oh, who left this milk in here so long? Because it's not, it's not totally bad, but there's a little hint of something that's there that you know it's only gonna get worse from here and it's time to get rid of that <laughs> before it gets really nasty because you know the taste of sour milk, don't you? Would you like me to keep talking about it? <laughs> no, some of you look like that green emoji, right? Right now. And some of us, I think as we talk about Herod, there's gonna be a little hint of something that we see in our own lives and go, hmm, maybe I need to pay attention to that because it could be a sign of things to come. Today I wanna talk about four hints of a Herod heart. We're, we're gonna start there today. Four things that might be just kind of a little, I'm, I'm not saying you're, you're a madman like Herod. I'm just saying there might be some little hints of some things to come, and I'm gonna tell you this is probably gonna happen. As we talk about these things, there's a good chance that there will be people in your life who will come to mind. Oh, she's like that. <laughs> she has a little Herod in her, doesn't she now? How about him? Boy, he's got a lot of Herod in him. Like, you're gonna think about that. And you might not be wrong, but if you're gonna be a little skeptical of somebody as we talk about these things, my guess is that you should start by being skeptical of yourself. So four hints that you might have a little Herod in your heart. Let's go back to the text, Matthew chapter two, verse two. So the wise men, the magi, they come into town and they ask, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Because we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now when Herod hears that, do you know what he's gonna think? First thing he's gonna think is, well, hang on a minute, I'm king of the Jews. So if I'm king of the Jews and somebody's been born king of the Jews, don't you think I should know that somebody's gonna be the king of the Jews? Like he's the first person that should know. But now he's getting this little surprise that somebody's rolling into town and saying, hey, there's a new king in town. And Herod does not like that because he has worked really, really hard to be the king of the Jews. And what we're gonna see here is maybe the first hint that you could have a little Herod in your heart. Hint, hint number one is this. When you try to be what you are not. Little hint that there might be some Herod in you when you try to be what you are not, that is really what Herod had built his life on because he wasn't really the king of the Jews. He wasn't even really a Jew. He was barely half Jewish. He had deposed the Jewish rulers and yet he still wanted everybody to think that he was the king of the Jews. One of the key things that Herod built that's really just kind of ruins now that are very difficult to get to and kind of excavate is a place called the Herodium. It's about six miles south of Jerusalem, about three miles southeast of Bethlehem. And so it's in a very strategic location. It's the only mountain fortress that Herod built and then named after himself. 
An archaeologist, as they're studying, are starting to realize that a lot of the things that he did there, he did to kind of elevate himself, maybe even make himself look like he was almost divine. And this is the place that Herod builds, and this is the place where Herod designed it, so that's where he would be buried. It becomes Herod's tomb. And he did this very intentionally in this spot, I think for two reasons. One is he built the Herodium where it is just outside of Jerusalem, just outside of Bethlehem, because he had won a great battle there that kind of secured his place as the king of the Jews. But even more, when you go up to the top of the Herodium and when you look out over the land, it towers out over a little town of Bethlehem. Who, who was born in Bethlehem? Jesus. Anybody else you know that was born in Bethlehem? We talked about it already. King David was born in Bethlehem. And if you've been with us, you know that we, we've spent several weeks looking at the family tree, the lineage, the genealogy of Jesus. And one of the key parts is that in that family tree, we connected that Jesus was a great descendant of David because to be the king of the Jews, you had to have ancestry that took you back to King David. Now, Herod didn't have that, but when you look out from the Herodium and you look out over Bethlehem, it's like he's saying, see, I'm from Bethlehem. See, I'm a king. See, I'm, I'm really who I tell you I am, and can I tell you this? It is a trap to try to win the approval of others by being what you are not. It is a trap when you try to win the approval of others by being what you are not. And this was something that Herod did all the time. We call it a trap because when you do that, you're not trying to be true to yourself, you're not trying to honor God, you're actually being fearful of other people. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 says this, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. So when you put your confidence in other people, when you try to show other people that you are who you want them to think you are, you are actually just setting yourself up and falling into a trap. How do we do this? Well, sometimes we do it by just giving in to temptation to be like or act like other people. It's in the places that we go, the things that we say, the things that we do, the, the things that we laugh at or we, we enjoy. The reality is peer pressure is real, isn't it? Is peer pressure real for a junior high student? Yes or no? <laughs> is peer pressure real for a grown adult? <laughs> you better believe it is. And so many times we try to be who other people want us to be or who we think they want us to be. Isn't that the beauty of social media? It tells you who you're supposed to be, even to the point sometimes that you refuse to be who you really are. Sometimes it's a persona we put up for ourselves. Sometimes it's just telling people half the story because we wanna make sure they believe the parts that we want them to believe. So when Herod built the Herodium, he was falling into this trap as a fear of man, and the reality is, if we're honest, we, we do the same thing. He didn't just do it there, he also built this temple that we talked about already, that we saw the picture of, and this temple was well known for its beauty. In fact, there was a rabbinic saying of that time that whoever has not beheld Herod's temple has not seen anything beautiful in their life. It was considered this amazing structure. And here's the reality. If you go there today, which you can, and you walk the Temple Mount, which you can, and you go past the Western Wall, and you walk through the Temple Courts, even today what you will see are these massive, huge stones, and the ones that are there that have this really special border that goes around the outside of them, you look at them and people go, oh, those are Herodian stones. 
Those are the ones that were put there 2,000 years ago by the builders that Herod brought in. You can't walk through the old city of Jerusalem and not have the name of Herod still come up today because Herod built this incredible thing so that it could be a place where people would honor and worship God. Or, or did he? <laughs> did Herod build that for God? Or did he build it for the people? Because he wanted the people to think something of him. Because who had built the temple? Well, David got the materials and Solomon oversaw the building. And if he could connect himself to David and Solomon, then he could actually be proven to be a real king. He was trying to make them think he was something that he was not. And even more, he didn't really build it for God. And ultimately, he didn't really build it for them. You knew who he built it for. <laughs> he built it for himself. He was trying to build his own kingdom and make them think that he was something that it is not. And sometimes, here's the reality, sometimes we even do that with the things we do for God. And we have to take a good look inside and say, am I living my life to honor God? Or am I living my life in a way so that other people will think something of me? Look, it's a trap to try to make others think you are building for God when you are really just building for yourself. And some of us need to take a good look inside, maybe to the point of spotting some hypocrisy, and saying, why do I do what I do? Which takes us back to the story. Matthew chapter two, verse three. When King Herod heard this, when he heard what? Well, that these guys had come looking for a new king. He was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Don't forget that part. And all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. So you see what he's doing here, like he's working it, right? So he calls the scholars and the, and the wise religious people and he says, okay, where's this gonna happen? And then he calls the Magi and he says, okay, when did you see the star? And he's trying to figure it all out. And the reason he's trying to figure it all out is because once he has that information, then he can decide what he's going to do. And he shows us something here. Matthew chapter two, verse eight. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search. Can't you see him just standing there like this? Go and search carefully for the child. I know he's from Israel, but I bet he had an English accent. Anybody else? <laughs> Go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. <laughs> Did he want to worship him? Not at all. He had other intentions, which shows us something else. Now, look, I know you're not like Herod. I know you're not like this guy. But there could be a little, like, take that, mm, it doesn't taste, there, there could be a little hint of something in you. Hint number two, when you manipulate others for your own benefit, there might be a little hint of Herod in your heart. He had no intention of worshiping. But by saying that, by acting like that, he was on the fast track to try to get what he wanted, which maybe highlights something that we do well to think about just a little bit. I wonder, it seems to me that there's a fine line between worship and manipulation. That there's a fine line between worship and manipulation. What do you mean, Chad? Well, when you worship something or you worship someone, you give them worth in some way. So when you affirm someone, when you tell somebody they did a good job, when you give them some kind of value or, or worth, you are worshiping, and that's a healthy thing, but sometimes we do the same thing because we try to get what we want. 
And sometimes the reason we give worth to someone else is not because we're giving them valid worship, it's because we're trying to use them to get what we want. Does that make sense? And sometimes I think we do it to people, and a lot of times I wonder if we do it to God. That sometimes there's this fine line between worship and manipulation. Like when Pastor Jordan unpacked this idea of disappointment last week, there were some really key things that were in there. And if you say, well, Chad, how do I know? How do, how do I know if, if I'm becoming manipulative in my worship? Look, the reality is that when we worship, God brings freedom, does he not? And when we worship, we sense his presence and there's healing that comes even through worship. But here's the deal. If you wanna know, is your worship manipulative? Whether it's affirmation you're giving somebody else or worship you're giving to God, ask the question, can you still worship when things aren't going your way? Like when things don't end up the way you want them to or when things aren't how you thought they would go, can you still worship when things aren't going your way? Or do you worship to try to get things to go your way? Because there's a fine line between the two. When I was a student at Central Bible College, the president there was Dr. Maurice Lednicki, and oftentimes in our chapel services, he would say this. He would say, when you come into this place, into the, into the chapel, into a place where we worship together, you will do one of two things. You will either worship or be critical of those who do. Isn't that true? Sometimes I need to just take a look at my own heart and ask God, why, why am I even seeking you? God, why does this even matter? God, is my worship coming from a pure place? Let's take this one more step because it's not just in our relationship with God. It can even be in the way that other people talk to us, the way that other people interact with us. And so I would encourage you, be careful not to be snared by manipulating flattery. Be careful not to be snared by manipulating flattery. What do you mean? Well, sometimes people will come and tell you what you want to hear so they can get what they want from you. Isn't that true? You might not know this, but uh, for six years, when we first came to Calvary, uh, Ron and I served as the children's pastors. So we worked specifically with elementary early childhood age children, and then when there was a pastoral transition, uh, the congregation had a lapse of judgment, and they elected me to serve in the, the lead pastor role, and so I've been in that role ever since. And it was funny, because in our congregational kind of practice in polity, there was, a, there was an election, and then we have a service, and they, they kind of prayed over us, like the whole thing, and I remember at the end of the service, I was still standing up on the platform, and as I'm standing on the platform, there was this person who made a beeline and came right to me. Like they were the first person up on the platform. And don't try to figure out who it is because they don't live around here anymore. <laughs> now you're even gonna really try to figure it out. So, so they come up and they made a beeline up to me and they said, oh, congratulations. We are so happy. We love you so much. We cannot wait. We're gonna have you over for dinner because we just love you so much. And I'm standing there thinking to myself, I've known you for six years and you've never even bothered to talk to me. But now all of a sudden, I love you so much, right? That wasn't because they loved me. That's because there was something they wanted from me. Does that make sense? Here's how Proverbs talks about it. Proverbs 29.5 says this. Those who flatter their neighbors are spreading nets for their feet. So be careful because when somebody comes to you with flattery, I don't mean healthy affirmation, I don't mean motivation, I don't mean encouragement, I don't mean words of life when someone comes, you know the difference, right? When someone comes with flattery, they are actually spreading nets for their feet, they're putting out a snare that you can fall into 
if you drink too deeply of that flattery. Isn't that true? Well, wait a minute, Chad. Um, Nets for whose feet? Right, who, who, does, who does their connect back to? Is it connect back to the neighbors who are being flattered? Well, yes. Or does it connect back to the flatterer that they're actually setting a net, a snare, for themselves? So here's what I want you to know. This isn't just a warning for you that someone might be flattering you. It's a warning to you to be careful not to manipulate. Because here's what the very next verse says. Verse six says, evildoers are snared by their own sin. So look, when you try to set yourself up as a manipulative flatterer, as you're trying to get something from someone in a way that is unwise or unhealthy, you're, you're trying to manipulate them, that's actually a little hint of Herod in your heart. Dad, how do I know the difference? How, how do I know the difference if someone is trying to encourage me or if they're trying to use me? Well, ask yourself this. Are they speaking words of life to you or are they using words for leverage with you like where they're trying to get something from you. Because that's exactly what Herod was doing here. Which, which takes us into the next part of the story. We'll, we'll fast forward part, uh, past the part where the Magi go and visit Mary and Jesus and Joseph. And, and what we see in verse 13 is this. When the Magi had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you to for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. Nice guy, isn't he? What do we learn from this? Because you're going, I've, I've never really tried to kill anybody. No, but there might be a little hint to Herod here. Here's hint number three. It's a hint when you tend to overreact. When things come your way and your response is a bit of an overreaction, like, like Herod has here, then maybe there's a little Herod in your heart. Herod, Herod perceived any threat and he had to deal with it right then. Well, Chad, how do I know if I'm overreacting? Well, let me ask you just a series of just four quick questions. One is this, do you jump to conclusions? Like, like do you kind of jump to conclusions? Do you think the worst about other people? Do you, do you think people are out to get you in a certain way? If you do, then it may be that you're kind of have a little hint of Herod in your heart. That's what Herod did. Herod had 10 wives and he had lots of offspring and as he became older, he became more and more increasingly paranoid. He had several of his own relatives imprisoned. He had some of them executed, including his two favorite sons. The ones from the, the, the wife, Miriamne, who he loved but had executed. His two favorite sons from her, he had them executed as well. And then a little while later, just five days before he died, he had another son executed because he was fearful of what might happen. All of this was happening, and the Caesar at that time, Caesar Augustus, was known to have said that he would rather be Herod's pig than Herod's son. Tells you a lot about this guy. Now, I know you've probably never had anyone executed but are you kind of paranoid? Do you think the worst of others? Are you kind of overreacting to things? Watch what else he does. Matthew chapter two, verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, remember they, they go another way in the story, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. He did what? He had him go into Bethlehem, which was probably just a little village at this time, and go in and kill all the boys, and scholars think maybe as many as 50 boys that were executed by Herod 
because he feared that one of them might be the one who was trying to be the king. Why did he do this? Because he was so quick to react. My question is, are you quick to anger? Like when things don't go your way, when there's an uncertainty in what's happening in your life, are you quick to anger? Now look, anger isn't necessarily a bad thing. There's such a thing as righteous anger, is there not? True or false? True, there's such a thing as righteous anger when you see abuse, when you see injustice, when there are things that are wrong. And there are times when you respond to that anger, when, when it fuels you, when it's righteous anger and you say, I need to respond in a way. But if you find yourself reacting out of anger, if you're active in anger, that's different than you're reactive with anger. And it may be that you need to kind of step back and go, I, I need to... I need to examine this a little bit in my life. Like, like you, you know yourself. I've watched it in my life. I've watched it in the lives of a lot of other people. How there are certain things that come and that get us and that cause us to be angry and then out of that anger to react. Because like you, you know what trips your trigger. Do you know what trips your trigger? Yeah, you know. You know what puts you in that place. The people, the places, even the, even the times of day or the circumstances, when you're more prone to respond in a way that afterwards you look back on and go, hmm, probably shouldn't have done that. Probably shouldn't have acted in that way. Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about pre-deciding how you're gonna respond. Well, this is a great place to say, God, will you help me? Especially if you can look at your day or you can look at circumstances and you know there are gonna be places where I could be prone to respond in a way where I might be quick to anger. So God, in advance, I'm gonna ask you to help me. Lord, I'm gonna cast my cares on you now. Or Lord, I'm gonna ask you to give me peace. Or God, I'm gonna ask you to walk with me. I know that the righteousness of people does not work the, or the anger of people does not work the righteousness of God. So I'm gonna ask you to help me. Here's another big one. Oftentimes that we need to just believe that God is gonna vindicate us. Because why do we get angry? We often get angry because we don't believe that God is really gonna come through and we think we have to do it for ourselves. When I react in anger, I'm showing God that I don't trust him to handle the challenges in my life. God, I don't really think you can do it, so I have to do it. And that's where our anger oftentimes comes from and manifests in our lives. You ever, you ever watch a little kid that has a toy that's not working right? And they can't get it to work right and they start to get frustrated. And you, you know what to do. You know how to kind of help. And you're like, hey, buddy, you want me to help you? No, I've got it. And they try to fix it. And the more they try to fix it, the more you're afraid they're gonna break it. Anybody? And eventually you're like, hey, can, can I help you with that? No, no, no. And they get frustrated and eventually it either gets thrown, it gets smashed, it gets broken because they're trying to do it by themselves when actually they need to entrust somebody else to help them. And so many times we respond in that way where God's like, hey, I can help you with this if you'll entrust it to me. And you're like, I've got it. And then you break it. <laughs> and when I react in anger, I'm showing God that I don't trust him to handle the challenges in my life. And some of us need to step back, especially if we can see the places where we're quick to anger, even before we get to that place. Say, God, I entrust this to you. Two other real quick questions. Here's another one you might ask. Do you try to fix everything? Because Herod sure did. He always wanted to try to fix it for himself, which kind of led to this next one. Do you have to be in control? Like as you look at your life, do you have to be in control? Herod did. <laughs> Herod had this thing mapped out where one of his last wishes before he died was he made a list of people that as soon as he died, 
the soldiers, the military was supposed to go out and execute all these other Jewish leaders and beloved figures in Jerusalem because he knew that when he died, people would not mourn, they would celebrate. So that way, if he killed a bunch of other people, there would actually be weeping on the day that Herod died. Messed up. That's messed up. And yet, for some of us, when we wanna have that kind of control, there might be a little hint of Herod. Chad, I'm not that bad. <laughs> no, but is there a hint? Let me give you one last one. Matthew chapter two, verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up. He's saying get up a lot, isn't he? Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. Herod's dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, who's Archelaus? Well, Herod had debated his will for a long time and he finally chose three of his sons and he divided his kingdom up between these three boys. One of them was 19-year-old Archelaus who he put in charge of like Jerusalem and Judea. And when Joseph heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in, in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. Why? Because Archelaus was bad news. The Passover after Herod died, there was an uprising. There was a revolt that happened on the Temple Mount. And so he sent in the military and killed, slaughtered 3,000 people that day. He was known to be bloodthirsty and heartless to the point that eventually the emperor said, this guy is an accident waiting to happen and banished him to what is modern day France to keep him away from causing more trouble. Why? Because Archelaus was ending up just like his dad. Here, here's a hint, hint number four, that maybe there's a little hint of Herod in you when your issues start to spread, when your issues start to spread. My grandma she used to, when I would do things that were like my dad, she would look at me and she'd go, well, you don't lick that off the grass. And I'd be like, no, Grandma, I don't. And I do not intend to. I don't know what it meant. But when you look at Archelaus and you look at Herod, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Like Archelaus learned how to rule from his dad and his issues started to spread. And I can tell you this, he didn't lick that off the grass. So how do you affect the people that are around you? Your spouse, your kids, your friends, your coworkers? Like what effect do you have on them? Because if it's a negative one, then maybe there's a little hint of Herod that's good to come to your attention. You all know somebody who as soon as they walk in the room, they bring chaos, don't you? Come on, help me out. Anybody know anybody like that? If, if you don't, it's probably you. <laughs> Just, just so you know. <laughs> and look, if your issues are starting to spread, maybe there's a little hint of Herod there. All right, Chad, all right, all right, I get it, I get it, I get it. But I'm not like that. I never tried to kill nobody. I'm not building buildings. I'm not doing that stuff. No. But if there's just a little bit there, don't you want to deal with it before it spoils everything? Let me, let me take you to another analogy. Let, let's say I baked you a cake. It's beautiful. Looks great. Probably tastes good. Except while I was baking the cake, I was also dealing with some rodents outside. So I had some rat poison over here. I may have mixed up some of the ingredients. <laughs> Not sure. 
But if I did, it's just a little bit. There's just a little poison in the cake. Anybody want some? No, why? Because you don't even want a hint of that poison. And if some of that's going on in your life, then maybe, just maybe, it's good to say, I need to deal with this. Here's why. You must dethrone the little Herods when they try to become king in your life. So when these little Herods start to show up, when there's that little taste, that little hint of Herod that you notice, that's the time to go, mm, I need to deal with it because Herod has one purpose. He wants to rule, he wants to take over, he wants to control, and you've gotta dethrone those little Herods when they start to become king in your life. So how do we do it? Real quick before we wrap up then, let me just give you real quick four antidotes for a Herod heart. Let me give you four antidotes for a Herod heart. Here's the the first one, number one, that you learn to be content. Number one, that you learn to be content. What was Herod's issue? He was never content. He was always looking for something more. Now look, I'm not telling you not to be driven, not to be successful, not to be entrepreneurial, not to be goal-oriented, not to be growth mindset. I think all of those are huge. When we look at scripture, scripture tells us not just to be faithful, it tells us to be fruitful, does it not? Like God wants you to prosper, he wants you to succeed. But when those things become king in your life or when you're willing to do whatever it takes to make people think a certain way or to get a certain place. The reality is when you get there, it is an unhealthy place. And instead of always trying to be what you're not, why not learn to be content with who God has called you to be? To take those steps and to trust him. We spend so much of our lives wanting to be someone else instead of maybe embracing who God called us. I mean, this this, this happened to me when I was just, well, let me show you. you. Do you know whose birthday it is today? The internet has kind of been percolating for the last few days about this, that people have looked, what they've studied, they believe this, that if you look at it, look at hints, if you go back and you look, today is, here's a picture, today's George Jetson's birthday. People believe that, do you guys remember, anybody remember this show? Let's do this first. Anybody born in the last century? Let's start there, okay? Then I, I grew up watching the Jetsons. And George Jetson, they believe that if you, if you put the, the cartoon in real life today, George Jetson's birthday would have been July 31st, 2022. Friends, somewhere in the world today, George Jetson is being born. And I can remember being a kid watching that cartoon and going, I wanna be George Jetson. I wanna be like George Jetson. I want a little flying car. I want a robot who cleans my room. Can I get it, amen? But if you spend your whole life going, I wanna be this or I wanna be that, you end up just miserable like Herod. Look, here's here's what Paul says to us. Philippians chapter four, verse 12. He says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. Put that on Facebook and see how many clicks you get. Here's the secret to be content. 12 ways to be satisfied. Here's four ways you can be happy in life, right? People are gonna click on that, why? Paul says it's just one thing. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Ta-da, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. When you come to the point where you go, I can't do it on my own. I need, who gives us strength? It's Jesus, is it not? And when I say, Jesus, I need you. You're the source of my strength. You're the source of my help. I don't wanna be anything but who you called and created me to be. There is a freedom and there is a strength and there is an empowerment that comes. And when we just spend time trying to be what we're not, we are never fully satisfied or content until we recognize that our strength comes from him. 
which then helps us with the second thing. Here's a second antidote. If you got a little hint of Herod inside of you. Number two, choose to lift people up instead of tearing them down. Number two, choose to lift people up instead of tearing them down. Have you ever known anybody that every chance they get, they try to tear you down? <laughs> they try to find a way to kind of keep you down. That was Herod. He, he was known to do this over and over and over again. His sister that, that we talked about that kept people from um, being massacred on the day that he died, she was no saint. She went to him one time and said, I don't like my husband. And he's been interacting with the sons of Baba. Now, the sons of Baba were these kind of distant Jewish relatives of the royal Jewish family. And guess what Herod was? He was threatened. So he rounded up her husband. He rounded up the sons of Baba. He rounded up some other leaders, and he had them all executed. And they said, Herod, why? And he said, because they're a threat to me, because I do not want them taking my kingdom. Some people don't believe Herod would have killed all those babies in Matthew chapter 2. What do you think? Because anytime he saw something that was a threat to him, he felt like he needed to deal with it. Now look, there will be people that you will encounter in life who will have evil motives towards you, true or false. And there will be people that you'll encounter who will do foolish things in your life that it's good to steer clear of, true or false. But if you find yourself, every time you feel a little threatened, or anytime it looks like someone's gonna be elevated, that you're looking for ways to tear them down instead of building others up, that might be a little hint of a Herod heart inside of you. And we need to choose to lift people up instead of tearing them down. Why, Chad? Well, because if you're always trying to push yourself, watch what happens. Proverbs 25, verse, verse five. Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence and do not claim a place among his great men. It's better for him to say to you, come up here than for him to humiliate you before his nobles. He says, look, don't try to promote yourself all the time because when you try to promote yourself, you're only setting yourself up for humiliation. Instead, watch this, Proverbs eleven twenty five 25 says, a generous person will prosper and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. When you go out of your way to lift other people up, you actually then put yourself in a place where God can lift you up too. Isn't that cool? A bunch of us are excited about that. Here's what Jesus said. And look, let's just be honest for a moment. It's not easy and it's counterintuitive. Because oftentimes, and again, I'm not talking about embracing people with evil motives. I'm talking about taking a good look at your own heart. And here's what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 23, verse 11, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted which takes us to the third little thing that's a good antidote for a Herod heart. Number three, builds God's kingdom and not your own. That you build God's kingdom and not your own. Let's just boil it right down. Why did Herod have issues? Every time Herod had an issue, it was because he was trying to hold on to his own kingdom. He was trying to build his own name. He was trying to build his own self, his own life. And when you're constantly trying to do things on your own, when you're constantly trying to carry the burden of that by yourself, it's exhausting. Look, I know you might not have a evil motive. You might not be a madman. But I think all of us find ourselves in places at times where we think we've gotta do it by ourselves. And we're building our own kingdoms 
and failing to see that God wants to help us. And some of you are just exhausted. You're watching this on a screen somewhere, you're listening to this podcast, you're sitting in this building, and you just go, God, I've been trying to do that all by myself. And I don't like what it brings out in me at times. And Lord, I feel too weary to do this on my own anymore. If that's you, Jesus said this, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And some of you, it's not coming from an evil place. You're not a psychopath. You're just tired. And today is a great day for you to say, God, I can't do this by myself. I need your help with these kids. I need your help on this job. Without you, this relationship isn't gonna make it. God, I don't wanna respond to things the way that I have been. Lord, I need you to step in and help. Because otherwise, if you just try to keep building it by yourself, you're only setting yourself up for failure. You ever heard of a, a micro-nation? I'd never heard of this until just recently. There's about 400 of them in the world. And they're places where someone or some group has said, we are a sovereign nation. We are not a part of any other nation. We are founding our own place. Sometimes people do it because they're trying to move forward a political ideology. Sometimes they do it just as a practical joke. But people just say, this place is not a part of any other place and we are our own nation. Sometimes they get their own flags, they elect their own leaders. Oftentimes it's just one person. <laughs> Sometimes they have a passport. There, there was one place that they referred to as, as North Sudan. There was this Virginia farmer named Jeremiah Heaton in 2014 who found this little patch of land between Sudan and Egypt and said, that's my own country. And the whole reason he did it was so that he could legally say that his seven-year-old daughter was a princess. Kind of crazy, kind of sweet, kind of weird. The one that I enjoyed reading about was called Sealand. There's this old kind of um, platform seven miles off the coast in England that was used in World War II as a platform for military operations. It's only about 120 feet by 50 feet. And in 1966, they, they used it as a radio broadcasting place. And this dude came in there. His name was Patty Roy Bates. And he came in and said, I am establishing my own nation here. And it's called Sealand. And Patty no longer lives or rules there, but his son does. His son's name is Prince Michael, right? A little full of himself. If you search for Sealand, you can go there and you can actually, like you can get documents from there. Sealand will appoint you as a duke or a duchess or a lord or a lady. And so if you have a royalty complex, you're welcome, right? You can go and do this. But the reality is Great Britain does not acknowledge Sealand. They just ignore it because they know that at best, it's a joke. At worst, it's a delusion. And so many of us think we're leading our own lives. We think we're the king over everything. And Herod thought the same thing for himself. And yet today, we know that as great as Herod the Great was, his life in the end 
was kind of a joke in so many ways because he tried to do it all by himself. Which, which takes me to the very last thing that I want to emphasize today. Look, I, I, I'm going to encourage you that if you've got any hints of Herod today, that before we're done, you'll, you'll, you'll stop and you'll just say, God, will you help me with this? With this relationship, with this reaction, with this season I'm in. But my biggest concern today is the fourth antidote. Number four, it's this, that you make sure Jesus is the king of your life. Because in the end, what Herod missed is that there was a real king of the Jews. And then he came to set him free. Do you remember that, do you remember that part in the story that we read a little while ago that says that when Herod heard that the Magi had come, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him? Anybody remember that part? That was your homework. Does anybody remember that part? Okay, thank you, thank you. Why was, why was Jerusalem disturbed? The reason they were disturbed because they knew when Herod get disturbed, we get disturbed. <laughs> and Herod's upset, something crazy's gonna happen. And every time Herod was upset, there was a lack of peace. And some of you are experiencing such a lack of peace in your life. Maybe it's new. Maybe it's been there for a long time. And it all comes because the wrong king is in charge of your life. And it's not until you allow Jesus to be the king, to be the prince of peace, to be the king of kings, to be the Lord of your life, that you will truly know peace. Now look, for a lot of us that are watching this service, that are in this building, we know Jesus is the Lord of our lives and it's time to ask him to help us with some hints of Herod. But for some of you, you would say, Chad, I've never known peace. I've never known that kind of freedom that you talked and sang about today. But I know I need it and I can't do this on my own anymore and today something has to give, something has to change and today I need to make sure that Jesus is the king of my life. Maybe even you're here today and at one point you would say Jesus was but just like Herod, you started building things for yourself and you look back now and you go, I can't do this on my own anymore. And today you either need to begin or begin again a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and simply say this, look at this, Romans chapter 10, verse nine and 10, that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, what does that mean? That Jesus, you're the king. You're the one that's in charge. You're the one who's over everything. Lord, I, I will give my life to you if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him, Jesus, from the dead. Why does that matter? Because if Jesus isn't alive, none of this makes any sense. But is he alive? Help me out. <laughs> yes, he is. And if he's alive, then he can change your life. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Why? For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So can I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? And some of this is, some of this is homework, right? That if you've picked up little hints of Herod, maybe before your head hits the pillow tonight, have a little talk with God. Then say, God, will you help me to deal with those things before they spoil everything? But right now, this moment, I, it may only be one or two people in this room, watching on a screen, listening to this podcast, where you would say, I can't be king of my life anymore. And Jesus, I need you. I need you to be my savior and forgive my sins. Man, forgiveness is wonderful. And I need you to be king. I need you to be Lord in my life. 
There's no better thing than right now just to simply say, God, I give you my life. So I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. I, I'm gonna invite you just to, to join me in praying these, these words and I'll, I'll, I'll lead us and you can repeat after me whether you're here or you're in your homes, wherever you might be. And if you know that Jesus is your Lord, your Savior, he's king of your life, then I'm gonna ask you to boldly pray this prayer with me. But if today you need to make him that, you need to say, I need to begin or begin again a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Would you pray this prayer as well? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your son to die for my sin. I ask today that you would forgive my sin and be my savior. Jesus, you are my living Lord, and I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, we thank you today for your word. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the way that you speak to us. And Lord, I thank you for the individuals who in, in just these last few moments prayed a prayer to say, Jesus, I need you to be Lord of my life. Lord, would you right now let them know your closeness, that they are not alone, and that no matter what they're facing or what this, this week or this, this next month or the things ahead are gonna bring, that you've promised to never leave us, you're not gonna forsake us, and that your salvation comes to those who look to you, our Savior and living Lord. Lord, thanks for your presence and your word today. As we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us, that you'd send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, look, just before we go, if you're watching online or by way of television, you can go out to our website. There's probably a link in the comments online. You go out to our website. Just click where it says Jesus. Find out more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and we would love to help you with that. If you prayed that prayer today, and you need to begin or begin again that relationship with Jesus Christ, we're gonna have some friends over here right after the service who would love the opportunity to pray with you, who have a Bible that they can give to you and talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Thanks so much for being with us today. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.